Good evening. Hello and welcome to another session of meditation Q&A where we answer questions and take the practice of asking and answering questions. So we begin by shifting our attention, slowly letting go of our distraction, our external attachments, and try to focus our attention on here and now. Put aside our work, put aside our pleasure, put aside our lives. Try to focus our attention on this moment. The Buddha said, Adita nanva kameya napatikang ke anagatang. One shouldn't go back to the past or bring up the future or worry or doubt about the future. What's in the past is gone already, what's in the future has not yet come. There's something very special about this moment. I think conceptually that's easy to understand. Yes, it's different here and now. is different. It's unique because there's only one moment here and now, right? There's something else that's unique about it that might not be immediately obvious about the present moment, that it's categorically different. It's a different sort of moment from any other moment. It has a different quality to it. In fact, in some ways you could say it's the only moment, that any other moment is not really a moment. It's not a real moment. The moment that just passed is, is not real. It only exists in in our conception of it. Right? If I asked you about something you did last week or yesterday or even five minutes ago, it only exists in your memory, in your conception. So that moment is not real. There's no there's no momentness to it. You'll never be able to examine it f from an experiential point of view. You'll never be able to learn from it directly. It'll never be able to teach you anything you don't already remember about it. Right? You can analyze your your why I did that wrong. I did this wrong. I did I did that right. So I should do it again. That that you can learn that way. But you can never learn something you didn't know. You can never see it more clearly than you already saw it. The present moment is different. It's real. It's alive. It has a vigor and a, 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 a health to it, a life to it. Like the past, so though the past and future moments are dead, and when we hold on to them, we die. We, we 
are no longer living. Ye yatha matta, the Buddha said. Those who are negligent, who aren't mindful of the present moment, are as though already dead, are as though dead. The most vivid description the Buddha gives of the present moment, or the distinction between the present and everything else, is of of grass. He says when you like when you cut reeds or grass or plants, when you cut them, they shrivel shrivel up and die. And the same way, when you cut yourself off from the present moment. The mind becomes unhealthy. It loses its vigor. We're rooted in the present moment. That's where our roots are. Because that's where reality is. And so when we uproot ourselves from reality, it's like uprooting ourselves from that which nourishes the mind. It's poetic, but there is a nourishing quality to the present moment. It's, it's a real and important truth. Not only is it just one moment, it's a different kind of moment. And it might seem like, compared to all the other moments we've lived, some of them are much more important seeming than this moment, right? What's so important about this moment? Sometimes we will be doing something or waiting for something and it's unpleasant or boring and we think about other moments. Oh, what happened? That, that moment was a good moment. Last year, that was a good year. And we think of next year. Maybe next year will be better. Can't wait for this. Can't wait for that. Oh, when this comes, that will be a good time. When in fact the the greatest moment is the always is always this moment, no matter what. So, this is pamada. When we think like that, we're we're pamada. We're we're negligent. We have lost the potential. We have uh, thrown away our moment. We have wasted our moment. We have wasted the life that can be gained from that moment. But the good news is that the present moment is always here. You'll never, in Buddhism, you'll never be doomed. Not in Buddhism. Even someone who is destined to be reborn in hell is not doomed. Not doomed because the present moment is here again, or still here. You never lose it. Present moment is like the greatest possession, because you never lose it. It's always there. It's like your best friend, no matter how poorly you treat it, no matter how you abuse or ignore it, no matter how you malign or mistreat it. It's always there for you. It will never leave you. 
Everyone else might leave you. Sometimes we get bad reputation. People leave you. Sometimes we are, are we lose friends. Even our relatives sometimes we lose them. If we're if we tell them we're Buddhists, sometimes we lose them. The present moment will never be like that. You can tell the present moment whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to. And it, there's always it's always there for you to come back to. It's like a home. It's like a refuge. So that's the moment we have right now. It's exciting, actually. It's always there. You thought maybe you were hopeless, feeling discouraged. I'm not a very good person, a very good meditator. I'm useless, hopeless. Good news. You're still right at the starting line. It's like there's, you're running a race. And you're right at the starting line. You never, you never lose the opportunity to start running. Even you run, run in the wrong direction. You're still in the race. It's still, the finish line is still waiting for you. You might get farther away. Doesn't matter because there's no time limit. The present moment's never going to leave. The race is never going to end until you get to the finish line. So. One thing. Yeah. Um, there's some comment that the volume is low for a few different people. Hmm. Oh well. Just turn it up. <laughs> they were saying even with the at the highest volume they can't really their volumes are all the way up and it's still low. All right. Well. See the thing is I have a low vo I have a quiet voice, so You'll just have to listen harder. <laughs> I turned it up a little, maybe. I don't know. Need better speakers. Technology is a thing, you know. That's the thing is um, the downside. The, the, the thing we have to understand. It's very reassuring to point out that we always have the present moment. We always have the opportunity to practice. But we may not we may not ever use the opportunity. We may never may not ever be able to or or actually decide to take advantage of the opportunity. What I mean to say is we may not ever become enlightened. Someone the any given person may never have a happy ending. No. What I mean is, it's not re it's not assured. Yes, we always have the potential, but if it were assured, we'd all be enlightened by now. It's not assured, and it's 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 common to become complacent about the path, thinking 
these sorts of philosophies that we, we, we subscribe to, like everything will turn out right in the end. No? It's kind of like a Disney movie or a Hollywood movie or something. They used to be, movies used to be all about happy endings. I don't know what movies are like anymore, but it's always about a happy ending. There's no happily happily ever after. That's not the way life works. There is no plan. Things don't happen for a reason. I mean, they do, but it's, it's not a good reason always. It's not a meaningful reason. Like we have a dream and we say, oh, that dream has to mean something. It might just mean that you have indigestion. A lot of things are like that, not just dreams. A lot of these ideas, uh, these perspectives, uh, problematic perspectives come from theistic and... and religious, cultural ways of looking at the world that, that we adapt and we evolve over generation and over lifetime after lifetime. To understand that much of the way we look at the world is inaccurate, imprecise. We can't trust ourselves just because we think something might we feel like something is true doesn't necessarily mean that it is it might just mean that we're all messed up so the idea of being doomed that's a very theistic sort of idea that some people are going to hell for eternity it's a pernicious sort of that belief is very very wrong very very problematic it causes so much suffering in the world because uh, you're, you're, if someone who doesn't believe what you believe is destined for an eternity of damnation, then you are you are justified in doing whatever you can, and literally whatever you can. You know, including great evil that has been promulgated in the name of religion, in order to bring them to the to your to your religion, right? Convert or die. Why? Because you don't convert it's worse worse than death that sort of thing very dangerous beliefs and but also the idea that there's a plan that the universe has some plan for us it's garbage so a terrible belief so it leads to complacency and and relative sort of a relative sense of of right and wrong and truth no sense of it's okay if it's right for you. You just follow your path. You know this idea of your path. Yeah, you you might be just lost in the woods. You might you know your path might just be a, a rabbit trail that leads nowhere. So, welcome to the present moment. Hope you find it. Hope you enjoy your stay. Someone asked me this evening about enjoyment. I thought it was an interesting idea. 
they asked um, if there's something they could do to make the practice more enjoyable without um, without succumbing to craving or desire. And I said no, because enjoyment implies craving and attachment. You'll never enjoy the practice, and you have to be able to distinguish between happiness and enjoyment. I mean, they're just words, but there is clearly a distinction. And it's a problem that people have with meditation. It's not something you can cling to. So it feels like you may be just not getting it. You're not getting it because it feels like you're not getting it because it's just not sticking. So I said it's like it's like trying to stick to Teflon. The meditation will never really stick. It's not, and by that we have this idea, as with other things, that when you get better at something or more accustomed to something, it gets more uh, habitual, and you get more inclined towards it. And to, you know, to some extent, the, the habitual and the inclined comes in meditation, but not the not the attachment to it, not the familiarity that makes you start to like it. Whatever you like about meditation isn't the meditation itself. Meditation is like Teflon. Mindfulness is not something you can cling to. It's not something you're ever going to enjoy. But on the other hand, mindfulness is what brings real happiness. Uh, trying to, words are hard, but there is a distinction between happiness and enjoyment. Because we do enjoy many things, but they don't make us happy. We think they do, and we think happiness and enjoyment are synonymous. You're happy when you enjoy things. But there is a state that involves what we call enjoyment, and that state is not conducive to happiness and there is a state that can be called happiness without looking anything like enjoyment when we when we can distinguish between these two then we understand then we then we find real happiness or we it's important that we distinguish between these two otherwise we are looking for happiness in the wrong place We'll never be happy because we'll be discouraged. We'll find I practiced meditation for so long and I'm still not still not sticking. You know? I still feel myself discouraged and not wanting to practice and if I slack off or just a, you know, that's what we don't realize is it involves slacking off. We're slacking off. We think sudden I'm not meditating anymore. What happened? I thought, you know, this it must be a useless thing because I did it for so long and I still don't want to do it. <laughs> quite common for us not to want to do meditation even after practicing for a long time because that's the defilements talking so you have to understand it's never going to feel like it's sticking it's because it's non-stick it's non non-stick all right i did promise that there would be questions and answers so today with me again is shraddha very kindly, she's given up her time again and again now to
be my question asker. Hopefully you can hear her better than you can hear me. Uh, if there are questions, I see there are a bunch, you can go ahead and start asking and I'll start answering. The rest of you, just close your eyes and start meditating. How do I control or manage my emotions? Well, there's a difference between controlling and managing. I'm not sure I'd use either words to describe what we do. We're trying to, we're, we're in all about understanding. So don't look at the goal as either managing or controlling. The problem with controlling is that they are uncontrollable. The problem with managing is that they're unmanageable. But another problem with managing is that it tends to involve accepting and settling. Right? I'm, I'm angry, so I'll just try and manage my anger. It's not what we're about. But we're also not about controlling. Like, I will control myself not to be angry, or I will control my anger so it doesn't get out of control. We're about understanding. So if you haven't read the booklet on how to meditate, a lot of the answers I'm probably going to give are Involve anyway um, reading the booklet. It's because it it's a description of how I advise people to practice. And if you've done that, then maybe take an at-home meditation course. That's another part of what I'm going to talk about a lot, because then we can actually not only answer your questions, but help give you the tools by which to find answers for yourself. So the practice of mindfulness is very good for. Uh, approaching and confronting and understanding your emotions and freeing yourself from emotions that cause stress and suffering. What would be your perception on disinterest in life as a whole? in which one would desire to escape it, perhaps through death. Uh, I think that's a, I mean, it's a good example of a, a what is it, a, I want to say a non sequitur. I think that's technically the, the definition, the, the name for it. But your conclu the conclusion that I must escape from death doesn't follow from what I mean to say is just because you're disinterested in something right, it has nothing to do with your need to escape it so you have to be more more truthful with yourself about what's actually going on if you say it's 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 polite to say and it sounds good to say yes I'm disinterested and I should uh, therefore desire to escape it, right? They're not the same things. Because I would say you could describe an enlightened perspective of the world as being disinterested in it. Come look at this world. 
gets decked out like a king's chariot and the fools fall into it, but the wise find no association, find nothing to cling to, no interest in it. But they have no desire to escape it. So they're 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 unrelated. Disinterest is proper, you know. When we're interested in things, it it, it involves con conceiving or perception perceiving them as sources of happiness. That oh, if I if I get into this, it'll make me happy. This thing will make me happy. That's what interest involves. Disinterest is, is, well, there's two kinds of disinterest, or at least two kinds. There is the disinterest of, of someone who is ignorant, right? Someone who is disinterested in meditation, disinterested, doesn't care that they're evil, <laughs> doesn't care that they're a bad person, disinterested. It's not really disinterest, it's just delusion or ignorance or darkness. They're asleep, zombie, the zombie nature of life. But true disinterest comes from wisdom. You understand something so, so thoroughly that you have no delusion that it might that no 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 delusion that might cause it to hold your interest. It's nothing to do with desire for escape. There is some part of the path that involves the desire to escape, but it, it more involves the desire to escape our our attachments to things, to escape from our interest. Some some meditators will really feel like they want to run away. It's a part of the course. There's a point where a meditator will really feel like they want to run away. That's not the that's not the actual wisdom that they're gaining, but it, it's a result of what they're seeing. They, they're they're not able to process it adequately. So they, they process it as needing to run away, but it's actually a, a, a sense of urgency relating to our attachments to things. You know? And so if they are careful, and as they practice further, what they realize about that state is it's a realization that they're clinging to things, and the escape involves, true escape is the escape from interest, the escape from desire there's no other real escape you just take it all with you even if you kill yourself especially if you kill yourself because that's encouraging it recently started to practice meditation, but I'm diagnosed with ADHD and struggle to concentrate for any period of time. What advice would you give me to help me meditate longer? Well, the good news is that the present moment is only one moment long, so you don't have to concentrate for any period of time. The only period of time you have to concentrate for is one moment. And then it's gone, and you've got to do it again. So ADHD, I think, is, is a bit misleading, you know, the idea of ADHD. 
Not to say that there's not an actual problem there. There most certainly is in, in many cases. But I think it's a bit of a misdiagnosis because it's not that we need more prolonged attention. It's not that that's really the answer. We just need less violent reactions to things. I'd say ADHD is, is involves violent and or, or extreme intense reactions and those intense because those intense reactions create the perception of of lack of attention it's just a chaos that comes from bouncing the only way you can bounce from one idea to another unrelated to an, to a very unrelated idea is through an intensity of 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 attention right otherwise it's going to be more fluid so people who seem to have better attention just have more fluid, less extreme, less violent reactions to things. So rather than try and create some some conceptual, and it's not even real, some some conceptual con continuity of concentration that would that we would describe as attention, try and pick moments where you react to things. Because those are where you're going to bounce. We're like bouncing, ricocheting, because of the intensity of, of our velocity. You know, it's all physics. <laughs> it's like physics. Um, try try and focus on the, the the velocity, the the intensity of your emotions. Focus on those moments where you would react to things, and start approaching those with mindfulness. Just throw away the idea of attention. Throw away the idea of concentration. All of that you have to throw out. Everyone, we have to throw out. Because the present moment is here and then it's gone. And that was your meditation. Did you meditate in that moment? Then that was a moment of meditation. That's all it is. And then there's another moment for you to take up as an object of meditation. So you can't ever really meditate longer. You meditate for moments. Now, practically speaking, you want to, you want to know how can I, you know, sit, cross my legs and sit, and not get up and do something else, huh? which is a fair question, but, and 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 it is something that you're going to have to work on. But the way to work on it, and it is really the way to work on it, is to approach it from a point of view of moments. Don't be discouraged because of how little minutes you sat. Be encouraged by how many moments you were mindful. I'm increasingly able to be mindful, but when I'm working, like painting my friends, I find it nearly impossible to stay with brushing brushes. Any advice for greater mindfulness during work? Just practice. Don't be discouraged again because you're not continuously mindful. Just keep coming back to it. We're complex beings. And so part of that complexity involves many habits that are unmindful. And you'll have to just bear with them. Try and work around them until they are attenuated and discarded. And replaced by better habits of mindfulness. 
whenever you have it, whenever you remember, try and focus on the moments when you can be mindful. Now. Focus on now. Don't focus on that minute or five minutes or hour or day that you weren't mindful. That's gone already. It's conceptual. It's not real anymore. Is being absent-minded similar to meditation? What kind of a question is that? No, it's the exact opposite. I feel the need for reward after an effort, a relief. That's why I seek refuge in food, sleep, sex, TV. What can be a healthy reward that can give concrete relief? Stop wanting rewards. Stop looking for rewards. Best, the best answer for that, stop looking for rewards. Stop trying, stop aiming for things. Aiming for things is all about the future. And it puts you, gives you a perspective on reality that's based in the future, which is not really based on reality at all. Your, your relationship with reality is skewed. Because instead of looking at it directly, you're looking at something that it isn't. You're looking at what it could be, what it might be, what it should be, that sort of thing, rather than what it is. So when you, for example, feel the need for a reward, that should be your object of attention, feeling the need, the feeling of a need. That should be where you put your attention. I don't have an answer for you. There is no... I'm not going to give you advice on a healthy reward. Uh, and the idea isn't to seek relief. If, you, if you're always seeking relief, then you, you cultivate a habit of seeking relief. You're encouraging this habit. And, and because of that, it, it gets stronger. And it, it increases it's not really sustainable because eventually you're not going to be able to get relief and then you'll suffer in fact any time that you before you can get what get the relief you'll suffer it would be much better if you could just be happy hmm. wouldn't it wouldn't it be much better if we could just be happy Is it just me or are we falling behind? <laughs> yeah, we have uh, in terms of questions or mm -hmm. no, no, I don't, don't answer that. Go ahead and ask the next one. If our main practice is mindful meditation, what is the purpose for jhana meditation? Should we do it at all? Jhana means meditation. I don't have anything else to say about that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to dismiss it, but it's just a can of worms I don't want to open. Jhana means you, meditation. Do you recommend visualization practice or practices such as metta meditation or tonglen? 
meta, meta I recommend, yeah. But not as a main, just as a sort of an auxiliary. If we can step back and observe our monkey mind and mental habits, is that achieving our meditation or is there more to it? Is it all self-observation? I don't know if you read the booklet on how to meditate, but you're, 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 it sounds like you're close. I mean, I don't discount, discount what you say. Um, but the whole achieving our meditation, what you're trying to achieve is wisdom, understanding, clarity. And so mindfulness isn't the goal itself. So stepping back and observing the mind, you haven't actually achieved the goal, but but doing so will allow you to achieve the goal. Just don't confuse that with the goal. The goal is what comes from it, which is clarity and seeing things, seeing things more clearly, becoming more familiar with the nature of things. There's not much more to it. Is there a benefit to practice without a mantra? I don't know if I'd call it practice. Um, it's hard to know what the person is doing without the mantra. I'm not. I don't mean to say that there aren't wholesome things you can do without that don't involve using a mantra. It's just how would I know, you know, whether whether what you're doing is one of those. The man, without a mantra, it's, po it's certainly possible, of course. It's just harder to know. So. Are there things you can do that don't involve using a mantra that are beneficial? Of course. But it's harder to call it a practice. Not impossible. And of course there are things you could clearly call practices, but harder to know exactly what's going on. It's less concrete. Is it natural for one's sexual drive to diminish with the practice? Yes, of course. It's natural for all of your... I mean, not it's not a linear thing because it'll come and go because it's also very much tied in with the body, but it will decrease. Yeah. Well, all It's natural for all desires to gradually get weakened and eventually just discarded. Do you recommend noting seeing during sitting meditation when you notice the blackness of your closed eyelids? Anything you notice is a good object of meditation. Why? You know, what's the point? Why would you do that? Because it's present. It's your, your key. It's your path to the goal, which is the present moment. You found something that's real, that's here and now. So, yeah, good for you. If you noticed it, good for good for you. Start take take that, follow that, because that's going to lead you closer to the present moment. Is there a specific meditation to deal with fear of death? I would say mindfulness, really. 
I don't think that there's any... See, to some extent, fear of death is, is, is appropriate. No. The, the, the best way to overcome fear of death is not to just stop fearing it, but to make it so that you have nothing to fear. So the, the meaning the difference the difference means that improve yourself to the point where death isn't dangerous because death is very dangerous. When you die, you, you could be born anywhere. Who knows where you're going to go? And you'll you'll suffer terribly because you have to leave behind everything. It can be scary. It's very unpredictable. It's a scary thing. But. Um, the mindfulness does help you with fear because fear is not it's not to say that fear is healthy but there's a certain aspect to the fear that is wholesome it's not the fear but it's the uh, sense of urgency that that there's you know there's something that needs to be done before i die or i'm going to be caught flat-footed Because of the noting practices, I've come to realize that difficult states come and go in their own time and not according to my schedule. What do I do in the real world when it's hard? So nothing's hard. Hard is just a... Hard is conceptual. So it's either you can say something's hard because you're having a hard time accomplishing it. That's one way. That's one meaning. But the other meaning, and I think it's the one you're referring to, is it's hard to bear. And things are not hard to bear intrinsically. They're hard to bear because of our perceiving them that way. And if we can look at them more objectively, then of course they will be easier to bear. So, I mean, mindfulness of, of your, not of the, of not just of the experiences, but mindfulness of your reactions and interpretations, your perceptions of them. What can I feel in meditation? It's kind of vague. I don't have an answer for it. to be more specific why are you asking that question and what do you want what information do you need um, one day the next question is about the center mm -hmm. I have medical issues that require me to eat more than once a day and sleep longer than six hours am I still welcome at your center sorry um Right, so medical issues that require you to eat more. We eat uh, twice a day normally. I mean, I eat a little, bit, some oatmeal in the morning and then one meal, but you're welcome to two meals. Uh, maybe it's something we should talk about in private. If you want to get in touch with me, I can advise you. I, I, I'm reluctant to say to ever say yes to that. Um, 
and I would be much more inclined to find a way for you to keep the precepts because it's usually less of an issue than people think. So that's something we can talk about. I mean, I guess in an extreme case, if there was clear, clear, undeniable evidence that it was necessary. But the thing about sleep is it's hard for me to imagine a case where medically you would need more than six hours of sleep. But we can talk about it. Bhante, I'm just some questions I'm just putting here because I think they should just it's just sure. read the booklet. Yeah, to you don't focus have to, don't have to justify yourself to me. You're in charge. But to focus while doing meditation. You don't want to not, not put up this question because since it's related mm. to meditation. And I think you may not have uh, read the booklet yet. Read the booklet. Um and the link to the booklet is here and also in the should also be in the description. There's also another one which I think is just to read the booklet. I thought mm. mindful meditation was without a mantra. Mm -hmm. I was confused by your answer to a previous question where you said it's harder without it. I thought mantra is concentration. So maybe this nope. is also to a, read a the mantra. Book. If you're asking me, and you are, well, you're not asking, but if you are asking me, uh, a mantra is meditation. I mean, yes, there are things people call, or many things people call meditation that are without mantra. I don't look at things that way. I mean, I won't deny people, no, what you're doing is not real meditation. It's just that's not how I look at it. For me, mantra is meditation. Mantra can be samatha or it can be vipassana. But if you're not using a mantra, it's less clear what you, to me what you're doing. Do you recommend attending a vipassana course? You're probably talking about a Goenka vipassana course because we we teach vipassana, but we call it satipatthana vipassana. Normally, vipassana is a word people use to talk about a specific group that uh, uses the word quite uh, ostentation. No, that's the word. I mean, they 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 make put quite emphasis on that word we put less emphasis on it um, so talking about the Goenka group yeah yeah if it's what you've got I recommend it I hear good things about it I don't think it's as good as what we do but they probably say the same thing the other way of course so I recommend what we do more but they recommend what they do more so there you go How do I release posture pain during long meditation sessions? Should we meditate on that very pain arising from sitting? Yeah, you don't have to meditate really long. If it's so long that there's lots of pain, you could do shorter, start with shorter sessions. And again, you may not be doing walking. A lot of people aren't doing walking and they ask these sorts of questions. It's a bit of a telltale sign that you might not be doing any walking and I recommend to do half walking, half sitting. That would probably help. Why are there different practices in sitting versus walking? 
During walking, you recommend not noting stray thoughts, but during sitting, you recommend noting everything. It's amazing how often this question comes up. It's a bit of, it's it's really less of an issue than people think. It, it's not that big of a a doctrinal point, right? It becomes a real doctrinal point where people really want to know. I remember we had one monk in Jom Tong, Thailand, foreign monk, who just kept asking this question. He just really wanted, it was like he needed a precise answer, that if he had a categorical answer to this, then he would know exactly how to practice, which is really not how it works. It's quite simple, and it's not a deep, thing it's just that when you're walking if you if you try to note everything it becomes distracting it becomes discouraging because you're trying to put your mind in the foot and there's so many things right when we sit down we close our eyes and we close our eyes we cut off so much we also sit very still and that closes off so much so it's very easy to note everything that comes up in walking it's more difficult you're walking you're, you know you're seeing you're trying to keep your balance. <laughs> so it's just a matter of convenience. If you want to note everything, stop and note everything, go for it. It's not terribly practical. You probably wouldn't do much walking, especially in the beginning. So the point it and, and so the point I'm trying to get at is it's not magic. So so in the beginning, it's so common for people to look for these magic answers where if I do it exactly right, I unlock some kind of reward. And it's not, that's not it at all. Think of weightlifting. Weightlifting is not an exact science, but it is a science, and you, you have general principles of lifting weights. That's it, you know? It's quite simple. Lift weights, you'll get stronger. Well, that's not all there is to it, of course, but that's not all there is to meditation. It's just not an exact science. It's about general principles. If you're mindful of something, that's a good thing. If you're mindful of lots of something, that's a great thing. But don't try and find rules. We have um, suggestions, you know, it's, and it's it's funny hearing that I, I would hearing my teacher give these answers and trying to find a way to answer people so they they're somehow satisfied. But the lack of satisfaction is often a, a personal issue that they have to resolve. And this monk, I think he couldn't resolve it. It was quite interesting to watch. I think he ended up disrobing partially because of that. He was so discouraged that he didn't get a, a, a exact answer. Well, you could. It was always the same answer. And it wasn't my answer. It was my teacher's, mostly. Well, you could stop and, and note. You know, you can stop and note, or you can just continue walking. It's just not very satisfying when you want an exact answer, what you should do. It's like we want to be babied through it. It's not no one's going to give you the answers. They give you some tools and you have to learn how to use them. We'll walk you through using them, but in the end you learn for yourself how the tools work and how to use them. I can't tell you how to play tennis. I can't tell you how to play golf. You gotta do it. And don't be like a like an ox where you just plow. Well, you have to be discerning. Sometimes you have to step back and think: Was I doing it right? Was it? Was that a? Was that a good way? Or did that actually benefit me? You have to say: Oh, wait! I was maybe doing. I can see what I was doing there was wrong. Look at how much suffering it was causing me. 
Sometimes you tell someone to do something and they do it the way they think of it, and the, the way they understand you telling them. And it brings so much stress and suffering, but they keep doing it. Right? It's not just about doing what I say. It's not just about doing what your teacher says, because you might not understand what they're saying. They also might have, maybe it was a slip of the tongue, maybe they said something not exactly right, maybe, maybe they said something wrong. It's about understanding what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. All we're doing is giving advice, ways, practices. They're not magic. I mean, there is a magic, but it's much more about the magic of the magic of the 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 essence. Whatever you can do to evoke this essence of being present, of being mindful. You can't just turn it on like a switch. There's no switch. You turn on that switch and there'll be mindfulness. It's about trying to find ways to evoke it and to encourage it and to incline towards it. If you think about finding ways to incline towards mindfulness, then it becomes much more clear that it's not an exact science. Because it's messy. We're messy. computers I sometimes purposefully tend to diminish my awareness of suffering by not meditating how do I counteract that's just a, a emotion just try and note those the reasons for purposely doing that we only purposely do things because of our inclinations so try and note those inclinations you're averse to suffering. You're afraid of it. There's that's what's real, the fear, the aversion. Does your mantra need to consist of an image or thought of an actual word in your mind? Or can it be the overall feel of what you're experiencing without searching for an appropriate word? Well, it's really neither. Just because you're searching for an appropriate word doesn't mean you're actually... Oh, so, yeah, a thought. It's not an image, but there's a difference between an image and a thought. It is a thought. It's meant to be a thought. It's meant to replace our ordinary thought. We we think about things. Whatever arises, we have thoughts on it. And we're trying to replace those thoughts with a thought, this is this, it is what it is. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to use thought as a tool to straighten out our thoughts. You're just an overhaul feel. That's where it gets into this gray area of I'm not sure what you're doing. Assert searching for an appropriate word is an important part of the process. It's the process of learning to recognize and to uh, to see, to know what it is that you're experiencing. Because if it takes you time to search for it, it's clear that you're not very close to it. Well, that's not quite fair. Yeah, it, it is some artificial effort involved in finding a good word, but that's that's over pretty quickly. Just that's with anything, any learning anything. It takes some time to get good at it. How do we determine what we should confess to if we've committed crimes in our past? 
I don't have any. This too too far off. I think, especially we don't have any time left. So let's focus on. I'm confused with liking and disliking. Is it thoughts or is it more feelings? Doesn't matter. It is confused. Is you know confused is confused if you're confused. Liking is liking. Disliking is disliking. That's all. Don't try and don't worry about categories. What is the ideal space for walking, meditation, floor type, setting, shoes, etc.? Any place that has a floor is a good space. If it doesn't have a floor, it's probably not a good space. I mean, if, if it's you know, water or something. Um, no, there's not, doesn't need ideal. Without shoes is better. My job requires four to six hours of walking every day. I've taken the liberty of using the whole session to practice walking meditation, going through the proper noting as well. Is this considered practice? It's great. I, I would recommend not trying to do stepping right, stepping left. You can just do right, left, or walking, walking. It's great. Absolutely. There's four to six hours of... It's not the four to six hours. It's all the moments there. Think of all the moments that you're mindful. That's where the good is. It's great. Everyone should find jobs like that. If you need to get a job, find a job where you can walk four to six hours and be mindful while you're doing it. Is it okay to slightly move during sitting meditation or should we stay still? That's fine. Just try and note it when you do. If you intentionally move, say wanting to move. When you do move, say moving, if you can. Savante, um, I think that may be the last of the meditation related. There's mm. a lot of other questions. Okay. There are a lot well, of them. But... Good timing. One minute left. One mm. minute is enough time to switch to the last slide and say sadhu. Sadhu, it is good. Thank you all. We weren't, we weren't that far behind. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for listening. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. And thank you, Shraddha, for your help. <laughs>